Hello, and welcome to Addressing Alaskans, a program capturing community conversations in South Central Alaska. Join us on Alaska Public Media as we travel to different spots throughout our community and listen to local groups gathered to discuss what matters to Alaskans. On this week's show, we have Ice Race, who will be active in the changing Arctic landscape, presented by the Alaska World Affairs Council. This discussion features representatives from the U.S. State Department, the Joint Arctic Command, the Iceland Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and the Royal Norwegian Navy. They'll cover topics like what it means to be an Arctic nation, the challenges facing these countries, and how allies can work together to address those issues. This event was recorded on August 16th at 49th State Brewing Company. We begin the program with moderator Dr. Rebecca Pincus of the U.S. Naval War College. The first question that I'm going to pose to them is a bit of a softball, but I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves to you and to tell you a little bit about their work, their Arctic portfolio, maybe some of their experiences or connection to the Arctic so that we can all get to know each other a little bit. So without further ado, I'll start on my left and we can work our way down with Minister Paulson of Iceland. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, uh, my name is Ren Paulson. I am a minister counselor, deputy chief of mission at the Icelandic embassy in Washington, DC. Uh, my previous posting was, uh, before I came to Washington, was Moscow, Russia, uh, where I was uh, very much involved in, in uh, uh, Arctic affairs, mainly because that's almost the only thing that we're talking to the Russians about at the moment. Uh, pre previous to that, I was uh, Consul General of Iceland to Shanghai. So in these uh, discussions of, of, of uh, large uh, these, uh, power politics, uh, world power politics, uh, I have been posted now to all three big powers. Uh, so that is, uh, is quite interesting. And, and uh, uh, it is uh, very important for Iceland uh, now to, be, uh, to, to raise awareness of Arctic issues. We will be taking over from uh, uh, Finland uh, uh, next year as the chair of the Arctic Council, uh, the body that uh, includes uh, Russia, Canada, United States, and all five Nordic states, where we peacefully discuss and try to solve the issues of the Arctic. Thank you. My name is uh, Lars Ones. I'm a, a professor at the uh, U.S. Naval War College in Newport, and they actually pay me to do that, which is very nice. Um, I used to be the chief of the Royal Norwegian Navy uh, a year ago, and before that I was the uh, commandant of the Norwegian Coast Guard. So my interest in the Arctic has been deep, and it started actually as a submariner <laughs> under the ice, so I think I know a lot of aspects uh, about the Arctic. I'm honored to be here today, and by the way, how many of you are with Norwegian heritage? Hands up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad to meet you. And, and, and I, I noticed that Tromsø is the uh, sister city of this city. So Tromsø is a, 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 what we call the Scandinavian's Parry. And so we really enjoy that relationship with you. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to tell you a little bit more about uh, the Norwegian Arctic. Um, it's been fascinating to be here for three days and see the Alaska perspective of the Arctic um, with a lot of ice. Um, I used, we used to have ice 30 years ago, but we don't have it anymore. And I, I, I love to come back to you and tell you more about the consequences that we have experienced with this rapid changing Arctic. Because that's something I think you need to prepare for too, and there are some opportunities. Thank you. Um, my name is John Harrison, and I'm the uh, very recently appointed, I think five weeks and three days, um, official for Oceans, Environment, Science, and Space at the State Department. And uh, it's a huge privilege for me to be here. 
the reason why America is an Arctic power is because of Alaska. And we've had an extraordinary few days with um, General Wilsbach and his great team at Alaska Command, uh, who are doing very good work on, uh, on your behalf. At the State Department, we are very interested in the Arctic. Um, we are in the allies and partners business. And the um, OES portfolio includes everything from uh, climate to wildlife trafficking to biodefense, oceans, polar affairs, and um, space. And so I think of our bureau as the Frontiers Bureau. And if you think about where we find ourselves in the Arctic, um, the United States has a unique history and position. It's also a place in the world where it's still evolving. We, are, um, we work very closely with our allies. We have uh, channels that remain open with our, uh, our friends um, in Eastern Europe, which is different from other places in the world. Uh, and for me personally, it's a huge privilege to work on these issues because my, um, if you'll forgive a little personal indulgence, my great-grandfather was uh, Admiral Sir James Clark Ross, who found the North Pole in uh, 1831, an expedition up here. So we've, my family's cared about this a great deal. I promise you, despite the accent, I am an American. I just spent a few years in England as a kid. Um, but it's great to be here with you all, and uh, I look forward to this. Good evening. My name is Michael Jort, and I'm a commander in the Danish Navy, and I have been spending half of my career in Greenland sailing. I'm, I'm a ship driver, and uh, I've been spending 17 years uh, in the Arctic as a ship driver, and also been stationed in Greenland, and primarily in, in the, uh, the former uh, Greenland Command, now called the Joint Arctic Command. Present, I'm uh, I'm the chief of the liaison and elements uh, in the Faroe Islands, and um, I'll come back to that later. I believe that um, how how about uh, the the Danish uh, Joint Arctic Command, what that is. But uh, besides from uh, being a ship driver, having patrolled the Arctic waters, uh, I have been served in uh, Afghanistan. I have been uh, posted to NATO for, for some years, and uh, I'm really happy to be here because I think that uh, what we have been discussing during the last couple of days, uh, the development in the Arctic definitely um, influence Denmark, which I'm representing, representing because Greenland is a part of Denmark and the Faroe Islands is a part of Denmark. We are calling it the Kingdom of Denmark but I think that we'll come back to that later. But I'm really happy to be here and tell a little bit about the Kingdom of Denmark and how we see the development in the Arctic. Thank you all for those introductions. Hopefully we've set the scene for you now. For our next question, I'm going to give Mr. Harrison a pass and direct this one at our international guests. Can you tell us a little bit about what makes your country an Arctic nation? and what we here in the United States need to know about your country and your Arctic identity. Want me to start again? Well, <clears throat> I don't need to tell Alaskans that uh, living in the Arctic is, 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 is not without challenges. And Iceland has many of the same challenges as, as uh, Alaska. We have uh, weather conditions that are not always uh, congenial to, uh, to having uh, blue skies and, and, and nice, uh, nice Sunday rides in the car. We have to deal with, uh, uh, with uh, so many uh, different types of, 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 uh, uh, of uh, challenges that come to us. And, and the challenges that are now uh, coming up are related to resource management. 
And Iceland's uh, place in the Arctic and Iceland's role in the Arctic is mainly related to resource management. Iceland is an island in the North Atlantic. Uh, our main source of income for, for, for decades used to be fisheries, uh, which is not unknown here in this, these parts as well. And that is, uh, that is uh, important to us. We, and we see in, 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 in our fishery management and our stocks uh, and that they are changing. And that is because of the changes in the Arctic. And we need to work together to try to mitigate these changes and to resolve these issues. Not, sometimes we have some, some conflict with our friends here ne next door in Norway when, when fishing stocks decide to move between, between country jurisdictions. But that is what we have this cooperation for. It is to try to resolve these issues because nature is changing. There are new challenges which we need to address. And that is one of the things that makes Iceland an Arctic country. We live in the Arctic. We live in the conditions. We live off the land. And we have to adapt to it. And we have to do it in... in, 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 in in a way that, uh, that we, we live with nature and that we live in good co cooperation with our, our, our neighbors and friends, that we don't make conflict out of these changes. Well, we are very specific about our fish. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and this, this is the thing, you know, uh, Norway is a maritime nation and, and an Arctic nation. And that we also have a global interest in the maritime system, to protect the maritime system, which you also are part of. So. But if you think about it, in Norway, 10% uh, of our population lives in the Arctic. It's about half a million. Uh, you are about nearly 800,000 in, in Alaska. So we are a very small population. So we need to be very efficient and do smart things. Um, so I think if you, if you look at the uh, changes we have experienced the last, uh, only the last 10 years, the ice is now, um, well, I went with, with our, our icebreaker, Svalbard, up to, um, to find ice a couple of years ago in the midsummer, and we had to go to 84 degrees north before we found ice. And now we have year-round fishery uh, at the latitude about 78 north of Svalbard, uh, fishing uh, prawns. Um, our cod stocks have moved, the Atlantic cod stock, the mackerel, all the, the Atlantic fisheries have moved north because the ice is gone, so we got two seasons of plankton. So the fish have double the amount of, of uh, food they can eat. So they double. But the big challenge now is what happens when the Arctic Ocean opens? And what fishery are there? Fortunately, the Arctic states have agreement now to restrict the fishery in the Arctic Ocean. But the Atlantic species are actually invading the Arctic and pushing the polar species out. So that is uh, a thing that you need to look at because the Arctic is an independent ecosystem. So the thing that is happening here affects what is happening on the other side. So we have snow crab coming over from this side of the Arctic into our ecosystem. And you will get species coming from our part of the Arctic into your system. That's a challenge. And so we need to look at this as Arctic states as a whole. There needs to be more cooperation. And the Arctic Council is, is, is an excellent area where we work together on fishery, on environmental protection, on search and rescue. We try with small resources to see what we can do when this huge area called the Arctic opens slowly. So I used to explain Norway by 80, 80, 80. 
So 80% of our income comes from the maritime. Oil and gas, yes, we don't use that money. But the second biggest is fishery. 80% um, of our maritime areas are north of the Arctic Circle. That's why we need it. And the infrastructure are ships. It's the maritime infrastructure. Just like you have here in Alaska, you use the maritime industry. And 80% of the year, there is light. <laughs> yeah, you know that. You know, it's dark <laughs> in winter. So, so there's a lot of similarities here. So to us, when we uh, see the opening of a new uh, development area, that's a, a huge uh, opportunity for us. But it's also challenges. Uh, and my advice to you is you have to look at it not only from the Alaskan perspective, but from a regional perspective. So we have, for instance, the Russian-Norwegian Fishery Commission, where we manage the fish stock in the North Atlantic. And we give some quotas to others. <laughs> and the quotas are fixed. So we only discuss scientifically how much fish should we take out. So we never quarrel about who gets what. We just quarrel about how much. So in, in, by doing that, we, we build trust with our neighbors. And we manage our fish stocks. So it's probably the best uh, managed fish stock in the world. So, so this is, uh, I think, what you need to expand also in Alaska, to look at your neighbors. How are you going to manage and govern an area that is opening up and give you prosperity? So I, from my Coast Guard time uh, and Navy time, we, we, I call it the Coast Guard-Navy synergy. And you should go to your um, uh, political leaders and say, well, you know, Coast Guard and Navy should start working more with you up here. They need infrastructure, they need communication, they need to be present. It's too late to sort of call the, push the red button when the catastrophe is already here. They need to establish present knowledge and equipment to be here. You're listening to Addressing Alaskans on Alaska Public Media. Today's show is Ice Race, Who Will Be Active in the Changing Arctic Landscape? This discussion was presented by the Alaska World Affairs Council and was recorded at 49th State Brewing Company on August 16th. We just heard from Rear Admiral Lars Sanez, who retired from his position as Chief of the Royal Norwegian Navy last year and is now a Distinguished International Fellow at the U.S. Naval War College. We'll now hear from Michael Yort, Chief Liaison Element of the Faroe Islands for the Joint Arctic Command. Ten years ago or more, we um we started to see that uh, cruise ship coming from Mediterranean sailing to, to Caribbean took a trip from Mediterranean and via uh, Greenland and then to uh, Caribbean. It was cruise ships with approximately three to 5,000 people on board. They um, of course, they wanted to earn money sailing from Mediterranean to, uh, to, to the Caribbean. But what they didn't know, actually, was that many of the fjords were not surveyed in Greenland. So they took trips uh, to Greenland, uh, sailing, seeing all the, the beautiful icebergs and, what, what's, and uh, whales and seals and whatever is, is so fantastic to see in, in Greenland. But, but it was one of the consequences of the global, global warming, of course. And uh, we, uh, we ra raised that to uh, the Danish maritime authorities, and they started to, uh, to work for an 
and, um, and regulation of the ship traffic uh, in the Arctic. And Denmark uh, invited the neighboring countries to come to Greenland to discuss what, what we should do with the consequences of the global warming. And we invited them to a city called Ilulisset in Greenland, and that's in the Disco Bay. Uh, the, the old Danish name was Jakobshavn, but it was not a coincidence that we invited them to come to, to Ilulisset, because there is one of the most produ productive glaciers in the world uh, lays just um, outside that city, Jakobshavn or Ilulisset. And that glacier has pulled back 25 miles within the last 25 years. And that's, that's, that's one of the, another consequence of, of the global warming. So um, we call that agreement between the, at that time, five Arctic coastal states as the Idoliset Declaration. And later on, Iceland and Finland and Sweden also was included. But in this Ilulisset declaration, the Arctic country, country, countries decided to, to uh, work together for a safe um, environment, for, for sharing information, for, for um, regulating the ship traffic, for research, for, for a lot of, of, of things. And I think it was a really good decision to have to have that meeting in Ilulisset at at that time. Later on, we have ha we have had search and rescue agreements and all kinds of other forums has been in established. But um, looking at those cruise ships sailing from Mediterranean to to uh, the Caribbean at that time was really an an eye opener for for Denmark because we have the search and rescue responsibility in Greenland, and we take that really, really serious. Can you explain the kingdom of Denmark? Yes. Um, I was just asked if I could explain the kingdom of Denmark. D the kingdom of Denmark consists of Denmark in Europe and the Faroe Islands between uh, Denmark and Greenland. And Greenland is, of, of course, the, the, the third part of, 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 of the kingdom of Denmark. It's, it's, mostly, it's mostly Greenland which defines the Kingdom of Denmark as, as an Arctic nation. Without, without uh, Greenland and without the Faroe Islands, we will not be an Arctic nation. And what we, what we see um, those in these years is actually that Greenland and the Faroe Islands, they are becoming more and more independent. They, they are having more and more uh, responsibilities. They have home governance, and um, and they have um, responsibility, for an instance, for trade, for resources, for education, for for labor, and and all kinds of stuff. But but they are, they are not responsible for the foreign policy, for justice, and for the the or and the defense. That still lies within Denmark, but. In time, we might see that they also will take those responsibilities and then become independent. Faroe Islands could have it today if they want to because they have a really good economy. 
and but they are still a part of Denmark because two-thirds of the the inhabitants in in the Faroe Islands and the inhabitants they, they we have 51,000 inhabitants in the Faroe Islands they still want to be a part of of, uh, of Denmark but it might change Greenland is another case because Greenland do not have that good uh, an economy and they are still they still rely on the Danish support, econo economical, economical support. 80% of the Greenlandic e economy comes from Denmark today. The next question I'm going to pose is a short one. Um, can you all tell us about your country's most um, important national interests or top priorities in the Arctic region? Well, we already uh, addressed the issue of fish, which is, uh, which is important <laughs> to us. But in, in general, it is natural resources is, 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 is the thing. Like I said before, we live in the Arctic. We have to make a living there as well. And uh, to be able to use the resources that we have is the most vital thing. But we have to do it in a sustainable way uh, so that we pre preserve them for future generations as well. And uh, the Icelandic uh, fishing community, for example, has for many years now uh, been in a quota system that has been an agreement between the government and, and, the, and, the, uh, and the fishing communities that there is, makes sense for the fishing communities to take cuts in their stocks in order to preserve them. Because you could sh take all the fish out of the ocean but not have none in, in, in five or ten years. So the pres preservations of the natural resources and not just the, the fish, even though I keep coming back to that, that that's natural for Icelanders and Norwegians, but it's also uh, uh, oil extraction. We have uh, uh, offshore reserves uh, which we share with our, our friends in Norway and, uh, and, and minerals on the bottoms of the oceans and, and various things. And these things are becoming more accessible and uh, with the changing and the rapid changes in oil prices, uh, they might become, uh, the oil prices and the gas might actually become uh, more profitable and, and, uh, and reasonable for extraction and, and utilization. So those are the, it's, for Iceland it is natural resources and the, and the way to manage them and, re, and, and to, to extract them in, in a reasonable way. Well, surprisingly, I mean, um, maritime governance is important in Norway, but uh, the new security situation in Europe has changed our national interest. And after Russian invasion of uh, Krim and annexation of Krim, uh, that the state in Europe now invade another state in Europe, uh, our security interests are actually more important than ever. So we are actually worried um, about the security interest and, and the conflict uh, between these uh, emerging power, Russia and China, and what that affects us. So, so we are actually investing quite in a lot of um, capabilities together with the United States. Uh, new F-35s aircraft from the United States, uh, P-8 maritime uh, patrol aircrafts, weapon systems, communication, to ensure that we together with Sixth Fleet and other NATO partners can deter any military aggression in, in the Arctic. So that has become one of our highest priorities at the moment. So the, a few areas I'd mention, the, the top three themes are security, um, energy and the use of our natural resources, and then cooperation between the Arctic states, um, the things that we focus on. So um, the US government recognizes the Arctic as a region of growing activity uh, and strategic and economic significance. The State Department is working uh, 
very hard to advance US interests while balancing not just security, but also economic investment, a changing environment, and um, the needs of unique and vulnerable cultures up here. So a couple of things I would flag from the administration. The first thing is that on the security front, um, the president recognized this need and has recently uh, committed to prioritizing funding for the new class of American polar icebreakers. Um, March this year, the RFP went forward uh, for the procurement and design of the new icebreakers uh, with options for details and construction of up to three initially and then maybe as many as six. Um, and the president, uh, if you saw his comments at the recent um, Coast Guard change of command ceremony, this is very public, he's pushing for this, he gets that you know, we have a, uh, a fourth ocean up here that needs uh, our attention and our presence. The second thing I'd mention that's um, new in the last year is that the uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of last year enabled um, Secretary Zinke at Interior to establish and administer a competitive oil and gas program for the leasing, development, production, and transportation of oil and gas uh, in the coastal plain area and one small part of uh, AMWA. Uh, this is a law that's been long sought in a bipartisan, non-partisan way across uh, the Alaskan political landscape, and we expect will create real uh, opportunity economically and could serve as a catalyst for future investment beyond oil and gas in the sort of the wider Alaskan and Arctic uh, ecosystem. The third thing I'd mention is our strength and cooperation. Uh, the Arctic Council is the backbone of the civil cooperation between the Arctic powers. It doesn't discuss military or security issues, um, but it really is the backbone of the constructive relationship for the last 20 years. Um, you can tell the importance we placed on this because Secretary Tillerson's you know, first major trip as secretary was to, uh, to be the chairman of the uh, heads of uh, um, foreign ministries meeting last year. Um, as part of this forum that it operates via, via consensus. Uh, the eight states have managed to move forward together on a range of issues uh, from development to environmental protection um, and best practices like emergency response, which, you know, it sounds simple, but uh, these keeping these pipelines open for countries where we may have, you know, crunchier moments in our relationship, but we still have a good working relationship and it's, it's very important to the people who live in the Arctic. Recently, um, the Arctic states signed an agreement on science cooperation. Um, now, this is a, it's a big deal because not only of the research that's going to come from this, but also it's an exemplar of, um, of Russia and, and the U.S. working together. Uh, from 13 to 17, the U.S. and Russia, despite the tensions, um, you know, have been working on these issues, and we think U.S. science in this region is second to none, and this agreement will promote science and help American scientists do their very important work in this region. Um, one other area that I think is interesting is that under the recent chairmanship, Trump administration completed its first ever assessment of telecoms infrastructure in the Arctic. Um, the Finnish chairmanship has continued this important work and um, you know, working closely with the private sector to advance the efforts to strengthen telecoms and other connectivity in the area that, so that Alaska and uh, our friends in the high north are not left, be left behind in an you know, increasingly digital economy. And then my last point would be um, we have just completed negotiations and will sign the agreement to prevent uh, unregulated high seas fisheries in the Central Arctic Ocean. And that sounds very wonky, but it's, it's important to protect that ecosystem to make sure it's a long-term resource for Alaskans and uh, the U.S. Thank you. I'm going to interrupt just for a moment, Commander. 
Um, unfortunately, Minister Paulson needs to leave us now to, to go straight to the airport to board a flight home to Washington. So um, thank you again for joining us, even for a short period of time. And can we please give him a warm round of applause as a thank you on his way out. Thank you, and I'm sorry for, for leaving so early, but uh, I leave you in good hands with my colleagues here, and uh, I look forward to returning here to Alaska in the not-too-distant future. Thank you. Yes, uh, from a Danish side, we heard from, from Norway that security is, is uh, one of their, um, is, is Norway's highest priority, I, I think you said, Lars. Um, and it, it, it's the same counts for, for Denmark, but uh, cooperation and, and um, between the Arctic, uh, the Arctic countries is, is really important also. Uh, we see that the, the polar ice is melting and we see more and more activities in the Arctic. And the Arctic is, is really remote and from, from, from time to time it's, we, we do not have the picture of all the, the different activities going on in, in the Arctic. So it's really important that we are talking to each other, that we are sharing information, that we are establishing a, a maritime um, picture uh, of all the, the different kind of activities we see. Um, we know that uh, the Russians are, are more active, we know that uh, China is present, and um, we also know that the ice is melting, and, and within uh, the next 10 to 15 years we will see cruise ships sailing to the North Pole, and we have the search and rescue responsibility. And it's really important that the Arctic countries is cooperating is sharing information of what activities we have in the Arctic region and that we are training, having exercises, and then, for instance, we are, we are exchanging personnel to know each other's procedures and all that kind of, of activities. So um, cooperation between the Arctic nation is a really high priority seen with the Danish eyes. This is Alaska Public Media, and you're listening to Addressing Alaskans. This week's show is Ice Race, Who Will Be Active in the Changing Arctic Landscape, presented by the Alaska World Affairs Council. This discussion features John Harrison of the U.S. State Department, Michael Yort of the Joint Arctic Command, Ren Paulson of the Iceland Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and Rear Admiral Lars Sanes of the Royal Norwegian Navy. This event was recorded on August 16th at 49th State Brewing Company. We continue the program with moderator Dr. Rebecca Pincus of the U.S. Naval War College. From priorities, we pivot to challenges. So my next question will be, as leaders with experience and, and broad portfolios on Arctic issues, what are your areas of greatest concern? What keeps you up at night when it comes to the Arctic? And then as a secondary to that, how can we work together as allies to address some of these challenges? That was an easy question, because I'm an easy sleeper. <laughs> but um, I think the biggest challenge, if you look at the Arctic, is, is the governance of the Arctic. And you can see that risks can occur from human safety. We talked about search and rescue. Um, I like to refer to back 29 years ago when a Russian passenger liner, Mark Kim Gorky, actually grounded up Svalbard with more than 900 passengers. And, and the only ship there within a couple of hours were, 
was a Norwegian Coast Guard vessel, uh, about 3,300 ton with a crew of 550 uh, 50 on board. So, so within, it, it was in the middle of summer, you know, daylight all the time, no wind, they evacuated all the passengers on the ice, and the Russian crew gave them vodka to sort of stay calm and warm. <laughs> And suddenly, this, uh, uh, our, our Coast Guard cutter was joined uh, with more than 900 passengers on one ship. Only four loose, you know, heads, what you call a Navy. Average age, 68. Okay, where's my heart medicine? And, and you have to evacuate all these people to Svalbard. And, and we didn't have any resources on Svalbard. So you had to send helicopters from Norway up to Svalbard and then big helicopters out the ship and pick up all these passengers. And everyone survived. It's a miracle. They could all have perished there and then. And, and that's the challenge, because now we have, on average, eight to 9,000 passengers on tourist ships exploring the Arctic in our region. And I know we don't have the resources and the readiness to cope with that all the time. So um, I think that is why in Norway, for instance, we are building now three new uh, uh, polar uh, ships, patrol ship, uh, 8,000 tons, huge ships uh, with enough uh, equipment to do environmental oil pollution uh, hospital uh, and enough equipment to handle that kind of situation with two helicopters, whatever. So the government uh, actually made a contract this year to build those ships. And so, and that's the reason being that we see that this challenge is not going away. We need those capabilities for the next 40 years. So start doing it. Uh, so my colleagues up here have talked about Russia a little bit, so I'll say a few things on that. Um, firstly, the most important thing is the United States wants the Arctic to remain free from conflict um, and not a heavily militarized part of the world. Um, the US and Russia share a constructive relationship in this area through the Arctic Council, and we expect that to continue. You know, Russia considers development of its Arctic region important for strategic and economic reasons. Um, you know, perhaps up to 20, 25% of the GDP for Russia comes from the Arctic. Um, the Arctic border is longer than the land borders. Um, so, you know, I think it's fair that economic and commercial priorities feature prominently in Russian official statements. Um, about the Arctic. We, the US government, is closely monitoring Russia's development in the region of potentially dual-use military infrastructure, um, but it's still less than, you know, at this, you know, during the Cold War, for example. We continue to cooperate with Russia in three areas, particularly through the Arctic Council. The first one is protecting the environment, uh, maritime safety, search and rescue, and then law enforcement operations. Um, you know, the US, Russia, uh, and the other six Arctic states have a shared agenda that goes beyond any one country's need for you know, oil and gas. Um, the recent Helsinki summit was, a, uh, was an interesting moment in Russia and U.S. relations. Um, we consider this the beginning of a process between the U.S. and Russia to reduce tensions and advance areas of cooperation and mutual interest. President Trump and um, President Putin made no commitments uh, beyond the need to keep talking 
and we hope that you know if if it would be reasonably fair to say that we had a our relations were in a tough spot going into the summit and we think this dialogue is very useful um, beyond Russia the other area uh, which has been mentioned a little bit is um, the changing environment up here um, you know the administration recognizes that climate change is a complex global challenge um, and really has an approach that um, wants to promote economic growth and do security whilst protecting our natural resources uh, the Arctic does continue to warm at about twice the global average and we know that because of uh, the great work done by American scientists and our uh, satellites and uh, other, uh, other, uh, other things we have. In particular the State Department we focus on um, uh, the work on black carbon or soot uh, that falls on ice and snow, uh, causes the melting and warming uh, to speed up. Um, we are on track to achieve our commitment to reducing our emissions of black carbon uh, by nearly half from 2013 levels uh, within the next seven years. This should be a major in, uh, improvement in air quality and uh, health benefits for those that live in the region. Um, and more broadly, you know, the, the thing that gives you hope is that the U.S. is an extraordinary leader in clean energy and innovation. Um, uh, the energy revolution in this country has already produced so many affordable, um, uh, has already produced affordable, reliable energy for consumers. Uh, along with high-paying jobs, um, whilst dropping carbon emissions the lowest in 25 years. And something we don't talk about probably enough, but U.S. greenhouse gas emissions have fallen by 12% since 2005, even as our economy has grown. So we have these challenges, but I think American innovation uh, and uh, competition, and then keeping the dialogues open with our, our friends and partners overseas is really the, the bedrock of what we do here. One thing I have mentioned before is uh, the mapping of uh, the Greenlandic waters. That's of course one thing we need to, to speed up uh, in parallel to that the polar ice is, is pulling back. But another thing is uh, Chinese investment in, in Greenland. China is, China, China is uh, buying themselves in, in, in Greenland uh, these, these years. They are investing in, in um, in, in mine, mining companies and and that's something we have been discussing um, the last few days during this uh, symposium is that we need we need to uh, be careful about uh, Chinese investments and uh, one thing with, which was brought up today was was actually to to uh, consider an Arctic an Arctic uh, development investment bank so that um, it, it might not be uh, Chinese, Chinese money who is investing in, in Greenland, but, but uh, that Greenland has, has easier, easier can, can get money for, for, for developing their own country. But Denmark has, um, of course, a, a big role in when it comes to that, but uh, also other countries, I think that we will, if, if we are not careful, uh, China will buy their way in, in the Arctic as they are doing in, in, in Africa. So that, um, yeah, that's one thing we, we need to, to, to look into. Thank you. With that, we are going to open the floor to questions from the audience. Hi, good evening. Uh, my name is uh, Grant Bryan. I work here at Alaskan Command, and I just had a question. Uh, what are your thoughts on a, a joint interagency task force Arctic 
uh, with uh, the coalition partners uh, from the, the countries up there rather than going via NATO or already uh, designated uh, Arctic councils? Well, Russell, I, I think that's, uh, you know, the, um, the whole nation approach is, is important. Um, however, you know, the, the challenges you, you see in Canada, Alaska, or Russia, or Norway, or Iceland, or Denmark are, s are slightly different, and the distances are quite long between them. So um, I, I think it's wise to establish that nationally uh, because things connect uh, when you talk about maritime governance. Um, and it becomes more efficient if you can share resources. What we try to do internationally is to establish this uh, Arctic Coast Guard Forum uh, a couple of years ago, where we now try to synchronize and share information of what resources do we have and how can we support each other. I think an organization like that is something you can build on, and we do now exercises with the eight Arctic nations uh, to uh, improve our cooperation and coordination. So um, to introduce uh, other Arctic nations that, well, it's, it's natural, for instance, Canada and US to work on that issue here, as you do, as it is natural for Norway to work with Iceland and, and Denmark and uh, Russia. So it's, it's very regionalized. It, that's my experience. I agree with my Norwegian colleague, colleague and um, I think that we need to be, I think that uh, jo um, a joint task force is, is a really good thing nationally and I think that we need to be careful uh, to have it uh, as a combined, uh, combined joint task force if, if, if that was what the question was about. Um, yeah, I think we need to be, be really careful about that because uh, we need to make sure that we are not uh, militarizing the Arctic and, and I think that that uh, Russia might see a combined joint task force as, as a militar militarization of, of, of the Arctic. So I, w I would briefly agree with that and just say that <coughs> the Arctic Council is very useful because by removing the explicitly military component, you're keeping over lines of communication that otherwise would go away and become more complicated. Um, even during t recent times, we mentioned uh, Crimea and Kiev earlier, the, you know, there are things that uh, diplomats and scientists can keep doing that uh, people in uniform can't keep doing when things get difficult like that. And so I think the civil cooperation aspect is very important. I think layering underneath that, having the technical and daily contact on fisheries and search and rescue uh, keeps everybody talking and moving in the same direction. Our interests are not completely aligned, uh, and that's normal even between uh, even between allies, that's normal. We There's a fair and robust competition. But I think um, uh, keeping this in the civil domain is broadly useful uh, for, the, uh, for the region. In your opinion, would it be beneficial for the U.S. to become a signatory to the Law of the Sea Treaty? Would it be beneficial for the U.S. and would it be beneficial for your other countries as well? Yes. <laughs> so that one's probably for me. <laughs> um, so the, uh, and thank you very much, by the way. Um, the position hasn't changed uh, since, I believe, the Reagan administration in the mid-'80s. Um, we are active observers. 
the United States uh, defends its interests in its extended economic zone. Uh, we are good actors um, in this space and we engage in working groups and we follow uh, what could broadly be considered sort of maritime, you know, and development common law in this area. Um, but this administration remains in the same line as the last three that uh, the current, um, our current observer status and our current activities in this area is where we are comfortable. And I have no comment whether that will change or not. Hi, thank you. Um, I just had a question, I guess, similar to the other one directed towards um, U.S. Uh, foreign policy. And I'm wondering how pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords um, matches up with the stated strategies that you've outlined here as far as cutting carbon emissions in half and um, reducing carbon that goes into the Arctic areas. And so just wondering if that is part of, truly part of uh, this administration's um, Arctic policy, how pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords really fits into that. Okay, um, thank you. The, uh, so as you know, the President on June 1st last year said the US will withdraw from the Paris Agreement as soon as it is eligible to do so. We do remain in uh, for several more years, in fact, it's not commonly known, but we are still in the Paris Agreement right now. Um, and consistent with the terms of the agreement and, and less suitable terms for re-engagement are identified. Um, the United States will continue to participate in international climate change negotiations in order to advance our interests and ensure a, leving, a level playing field amongst all countries and protect our future policy options. The, 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 this president's broad approach to uh, this area is that uh, the US people, the US private sector can outcompete and out-innovate anybody in the world. Um, it's something again, not well known, but we are on track to, to beat our Paris Agreement target of emissions reduction if we were in the regime by some distance, independent of whether we're in the regime or not. Um, and I think it's fair to say the administration's approach is that we want a, a rules-based international order where the United States is treated fairly, given its um, uh, investment and support uh, in the past, and we will seek to defend our interests whilst preserving um, our natural resources and focusing on pollution and emission reduction in um, focused, targeted areas. And I think uh, it's been widely said by the President and the Secretary that um, there's some of the challenges with Paris are the way that it treats countries differently. And again, the United States can outcompete and out-innovate anybody, just want a, a fair playing field. And by the way, this is, you know, there, this is a, um, as I said, you know, the policy options are open, but we are doing everything we can to, uh, to focus on our deliverables uh, in the way that we think is, you know, best reflects um, the needs of the American taxpayer and, the, uh, and to protect you know, the environment generally.
You're listening to Addressing Alaskans here on Alaska Public Media. This week's program is Ice Race, who will be active in the changing Arctic landscape, presented by the Alaska World Affairs Council. It features representatives from the U.S. State Department, the Joint Arctic Command, the Iceland Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and the Royal Norwegian Navy. We just heard from John Harrison of the U.S. State Department, and we'll continue with questions from the audience. Um, my name is Michael Maurer, and I'm from the North Star Group. I have a question about something you touched on at the end of your uh, remarks about the autonomy of Greenland and the investment from near-Arctic nations. And I was wondering how it might impact future maritime security in the Arctic if a new Arctic nation were to be born and one that would be backed with uh, financial investment from near-Arctic nations. Thanks. Thank you, Michael. It was good, a good question. Um, <laughs> in, in the Faroe Islands, um, the Faroe Islands have um, responsibility for, for search and rescue. And um, I, I don't think that, um, that, that Greenland is in, in a position at the moment, and they will not be it within the coming two or three decades, I think, before they are ready for, for take that responsibility. Because they do not have ships, they do not have uh, helicopters for search and rescue, and all, all that is, is taken care of by, by Denmark. They are, as, as I mentioned before, approximately 80% of the Greenlandic uh, economy comes from, from Denmark. And they are, they, are, they are taking small steps, and um, what we see at the moment with uh, Chinese investment in, in, uh, in Greenland is, is, is not big-scale investment. It's just small small investments but but we see a tense and we need to be we need to be careful uh, about about the chinese uh, investments in in greenland and that's why i think it's very, was a really good idea uh, which was brought up uh, today about an an arctic uh, development investment bank i think we may have time for one more question um but again i will underline my point about Maybe two more if they're, if they're both very short. Okay, Thank this you. is very short. Uh, many years ago, I read a military journal that was describing the Soviets. They had divers that were going around in the Arctic and planting little Soviet flags. And so my question is, has everybody in the Arctic been going around with divers, planting their little flags, and particularly in the island nations, how are we determining who owns what lanes of water and plus the, the sea beneath the sea, the land beneath. That's um, actually, there, there is a, a, a UN uh, continental shelf, um, uh, extension of continental shelf uh, scientific uh, board that decides this. So um, planting flags like they did back in the 18th century or 19th century to claim land isn't sort of effect effective anymore. So what happens in the, in the Arctic is that you, the Arctic states have uh, their economic zones, which is 200 nautical miles today, and they are well established. And, and then you have uh, uh, the, the coastal states can have responsibility for the extension of the continental shelf, which goes beyond 200 nautical miles, out to 350 nautical miles. So all the Arctic states are now in the process of um, uh, documenting that the continental shelves belong to their country. It's sort of 
that it goes from that country out into the ocean, and then they can claim uh, to uh, govern the resources on the bottom. So all, all nations except the U.S., I guess, have uh, sent in their claim for continental shelf to this UN scientific organization. And then we will get answer back to say, well, you have documented the, and, and mapped the, f the, f the, f the floor of the ocean sufficient, and we say that this is, uh, this is um, uh, approved. Norway has got that approved uh, because we were pretty early in that process. And we don't have uh, much of overlap. So now we see that, for instance, Denmark and Russia has an overlap over the North Pole on the uh, ridge. And, but the UN is not deciding. This will be, in the future, Russia and Denmark needs to sit down and find out how are we going to divide this by ourselves. We have done that with Russia with regard to our continental shelf earlier. Uh, so if there is any overlapping claims, this is the typical diplomatic, uh, uh, you find diplomatic solution how to solve that. And, and in my opinion, this will uh, be resolved around 2040, 2050 perhaps, uh, because the, um, the, the process takes so long time that, uh, but uh, planting flag is not working anymore. I would like to comment that because Exactly this ab about the continental shelves and what was brought up during the Ilulisset declaration. And the Arctic countries has signed this declaration saying that they orderly will, will settle these, these uh, continental claims. So we are relying on that it, it's going to be peaceful. But I believe, for instance, about the North Pole where Russia and Denmark have overlapping claims and Russia will have the answer first. I think that we are going to struggle with the Russia to, uh, to have um, them pull back what, uh, what take, if they, are, if they are getting the North Pole and more, I think that, that we are going to, it's going to be uh, some discussions with, with Russia about, about how we are going to, to, um, to uh, handle these claims, but, but but it's important that the nations have signed this declaration that they will orderly settle this. So it's going to be a political decision. Can I just add, I, th I think Denmark will win the Santa Claus. <laughs> I was going to make a point of clarification about the science, but I think that's a good place to stop. Let's go on to our final question. <laughs> I think this is a question that all of you could ask uh, or answer. Given the stated national security concerns and the advancing military and te technological capabilities, uh, in your opinion, would a multinational joint task force, uh, would the benefits from a multinational joint task force ultimately outweigh the negatives? Let, let me uh, put it this way. I, I mean, we, um, uh, the Arctic Ocean consists of five uh, coastal states. Four of them are NATO and one is Russia. So uh, the transatlantic uh, security um, uh, structure is a multinational task group with regard to security. Uh, the problem when you're talking about uh, governance as, as a part of a Coast Guard is that we all have different legislation. 
So U.S. have their own legislation. In Norway, I have the Coast Guard Act that give me the authority to act on behalf of police and other, you know, we have our, our laws, you have your laws. So a multinational Coast Guard um, have different authorities based on a national authority. So that is what, it, what makes it complicated uh, when you put together uh, a task force because then nations have to look into their laws who can do what, but we can still work together and share information uh, about what's going on, but I will not allow U.S. to be police in Norwegian waters, and U.S. will not allow Norway to be police in the U.S. waters. That's the problem. So, actually, I, I broadly disagree. I think um, the distances involved and the nature of the work in the Arctic uh, is, you know, on the military side, if you look at who is the lead on that up here, and that's the Coast Guard because it's a scientific, scientific, technical, law enforcement, search and rescue um, mission. Uh, it is not a military mission. And I think the, the forums we have, the Coast Guard Forum, uh, close working relationship with the, the other Arctic, uh, particularly the Arctic Four, I think it would make, um, it would be putting a, a level of instability into a region that doesn't benefit from not having that already. Um, but if this is the last point, on national security, uh, just as we were finishing up, we had another um, uh, distinguished U.S. Admiral walked in the room. And I want to say one of the fun things I've done the last few days is to be on the stern of the USS Munson, which is an Aegis-class cruiser that arrived in Alaska yesterday. And we have a number of uh, soldiers, sailors, and airmen in the room to right now, if they wouldn't mind standing up so that we can recognize them. Come on, Admiral, stand up. Um, Thank you very much. I think we're out of time, so I will pass the microphone back to Lisa for some closing remarks. Thank you again. Thank you, Dr. Pincus. If we could please have a round of applause for our distinguished panelists, Mr. Michael Yort, Mr. John Harrison, Dr. Rebecca Pincus, retired Rear Admiral Lars Saunas, and of course our guest who had to leave a little bit early, Ren Paulson. Round of applause for our speakers. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for listening to Addressing Alaskans from Alaska Public Media. We just heard Ice Race, Who Will Be Active in the Changing Arctic Landscape, presented by the Alaska World Affairs Council. This event was recorded on August 16th at 49th State Brewing Company. If you missed part of this show or would like to hear others, visit the Addressing Alaskans page on alaskapublic.org. For Alaska Public Media, I'm Ammon Swenson. Addressing Alaskans is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Theme music is by Patrick Lee. The views expressed are those of the hosts and participants and do not reflect KSKA or its underwriters. To let us know about an upcoming community event that you would like to hear on Addressing Alaskans, just go to our website at alaskapublic.org and click on Contact Us at the bottom of the page. Learn more about Addressing Alaskans and listen online at alaskapublic.org. Life Informed. This is Alaska Public Media.